everybody, it's John. Thanks for listening to The Hustle. This podcast in its truest form is, imagine going into a thrift store and you find a stack of records and you pick one out that you've never seen, never heard of before. The cover looks really retro, really old school, however you define old school to be. And you take it home and you listen to it and you really like what you hear. And you think to yourself, who in the world are these people? The people whose faces are on this record cover. Where are those people today? That's basically how I discovered today's guest. Only instead of a record store, it was on YouTube. Today we're going to talk to Rich Spina. And he was the lead singer of a band called Love Affair out of Cleveland in the late 70s, early 80s. And they had some success. Nothing major, but they had some patches of regional success around the country. Also up in Canada. They lasted a few years. They eventually broke up and it was largely due to that dreaded bad business advice which has taken down so many other artists. He uh, tried some other projects for a few years, nothing really got off the ground and then he got a job as a sideman for an oldies act. Now think about that for a minute. At one time he was the lead singer and primary songwriter of what was at the time a very modern sounding rock group but he tabled that and ended up getting a steady paycheck for the next almost 30 years uh, as you know a musical director and a sideman for Oldies X. It's kind of a fascinating story. He's a really nice guy and I really like Love Affair so I wanted to talk to him. He called me from his home in Cleveland. Well, uh, Rich Spina, thank you so much for joining me today um, in this conversation. I have been fascinated with you for a couple of years now. I remember very distinctly how I found Love Affair. I um, was looking for a very obscure song um, by a different artist, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I went to YouTube, and uh, luckily I found it. And it, uh, it happened... <laughs> It's a, it's a gentleman, it's a guy named Kyle Henderson, who was the lead singer of a band called The Producers in the early 80s, and um, he became a born-again Christian and put out a Christian album, and I was curious what that music would sound like, because I thought he was a really solid singer when he was in, or songwriter, singer in The Producers. Yeah, Producers and was a great band. <laughs> great, right? Okay, good. So you know who they are. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she loves on my mind. Yes. And, uh, I love what Lucy. She got, was that what's his too? What? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What she got? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I I think he's an amazing songwriter, and so I was trying to look up what his Christian stuff would sound like, just out of curiosity. I found it on YouTube, and the guy who had posted it on YouTube, I thought, well, I'll see what else this guy has. I mean, who knows uh, what else is out there? And I I should probably contact this guy because it cracked open my world to hundreds of new artists that I had never heard of who were sort of in that same late 70s, early 80s time yeah. frame who maybe had like regional popularity, but not never quite, not all of them broke out widely, really. Yeah. But some of the stuff was so great. And that's where I found Love Affair. And I remember very distinctly liking what I was hearing and thinking, I got to go find these guys. And as you can imagine, a band called Love Affair where there's not a lot of information out there is very difficult to find, you know, yeah. when you're Googling them, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, it took me forever to even figure out who the, the band members were. But anyway, that's, that's how I discovered Love Affair. 
And uh, so I've been pretty fascinated with you ever since, and that was probably three or four years ago. Oh, wow. So, but thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's weird. It's it's interesting how we stumble upon music that really matters to us. You yeah. never know. You know what I mean? Yep. So I'm curious about you. I um, You seem like a very naturally gifted front man, and Love Affair was, I believe, your first real success in the Cleveland area. Yeah. Um, what were your kind of dreams or aspirations when you started the band or started venturing into a life in rock music? What What were the hopes and dreams? Well, you know, you don't really think too much about what it, uh, you just knew you wanted to make music. I mean, what I have said to some people, uh, some friends of mine, as they've seen me through the years, as I said, the funny thing was when I was 21, I thought I was going to be a star and make a million dollars by the time I was 25. But if you'd have asked me at that time would I have still been making music at 40, I would have laughed at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was that kind of a, a dichotomy going on. And sure. here I'm going to be 60 this year, and I've done nothing but music my entire career. So, wow. you know, I wow. I feel blessed, really, really yeah. blessed. Now, you, um, I hope this doesn't offend you, but when I think about your career, I would put you in kind of the lifer category. You know what I yeah. mean? You've oh, yeah. just been a survivor for 40, over 40 years now. Yes, um, yes. Since I've seven, like, I've been making my living in it since I, well, I was 17, actually, but we'll say 18 when I know I'm okay. living at okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> wow. What was, what was going on in the Cleveland scene that was inspiring you to start your own rock band? Oh, well, we just had such a thriving scene. In fact, some people were predicting it to be like the next Liverpool, like back when I was uh, 14 and 15 years old. I mean, you know, the groups that were playing out regularly around here was, you know, Glass Harp, the James Gang, Damnation of Adam Blessing, Mm -hmm. and and the Raspberries. You know the choir and to and to the different formations, whether it was Cyrus Erie or the Quick before it became the Raspberries. That's the stuff I was hearing on a regular basis, and those are the ones that, that people nationally know. And I mean, I can name other ones like Magic, which was amongst one of the finest bands that played this. You know, played locally, who ended up being mm-hmm. Eric Carmen's first band, the band for his first mm-hmm. solo album, and uh, and other Circus. I mean, it was just there was just such a a wealth of music out here. Plus, everybody was able to make a living. A love affair, wow. you know, the band you mentioned then, when we were still a bar band, we were employing a five-man road crew and paying their health health, health insurance. Seriously? Yeah. Just from playing local gigs? Yeah, yes, yeah, just from playing wow. local gigs. Well, you got to remember, Ohio was a... 1821 state at the time. In other words, you could drink 3-2 beer at 18 years uh, old and, you know, hard, hard liquor at 21. And the, the clubs were all... You know, we're packed. I mean, five, 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 seven nights a week, you could almost go see any kind of music, whether it was 
your top rock bands, local rock bands, or your ones that are started just trying to break out, whether it was some of the jazz, jazz or the blues clubs and stuff, or even lounge bands. Just every night of the week there was something to go see. And I'm not even talking about the national shows that we're in. I'm just talking mm-hmm. locally, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. And the people supported it. People were people were out there, you know. Wow. And, and so you were able to make a living just playing local club gigs with the band. Um and was, reinvesting well, into ourselves too, you know, yeah, buying equipment yeah, true. And, and 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 recording, starting to record and all that, and you know, and that was the days before home studios and all that. So when you were recording, you were definitely shelling out money that you didn't know what was going to happen, you know, right? What yeah. the results were going to be? Absolutely, yeah. Um, what were your influences? Because when I listen to Love Affair, I mean, it sounds very much in line with the other kind of AOR rock that was going on at the time, the Foreigners and the Boston's and you know those kinds of bands, but there's there's almost a slight new wave twinge to it. I think because of the keyboards, which I believe you were the keyboardist. Well, right? yeah, but the keyboards didn't really come into like our third album. I think I only played mm-hmm. piano like on one one or two songs on the first album and stuff. Um, but it's funny when you say the the new wave thing. Uh, you know, there was a writer that did a write up on our first album. In fact, he was the one that did the. Uh, Entire first part of the history on my on my mm-hmm. website. A man named Jim sure. Gerard, um, who co-wrote a hit record called No Surf in Cleveland too back then. Mm-hmm. But he was the editor of the uh, of the the local music magazine called The Scene. And his write-up on it was: it said it sounded like it sounded like a little bit like the knack knack meets the sweet with Led Zeppelin guitar riff. Yeah. And I cracked up laughing when I finally talked to him. I said, "Were you like in the room?" Because all I was listening to when I was writing the album, or co-writing the album, was the new Get the Knack album. Dissecting your music and trying to make it like so exact or so 
are so perfect or whatever, you're just excited and you're going for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Um, we're, now, you were ma- mentioning being one of the main co-writers. Yeah. Were you? Would you say that the majority of the music came from you, or was it all basically collaborative? Um, well, I'd say a big a big part of it. I was I was the cent, uh, this really more at the center of it all. Like you'd, you'd see okay. see me in, in most of the music and stuff. I mean, I was still also writing songs totally on my own, and mm-hmm. um, I was in a collaborative uh, a songwriting agreement with our manager and so like by the time we got to the third album i'd say uh any of the songs that didn't bear any of the other band members names on it i really wrote by myself but it still had bared both of our names on it you know Uh and uh and but you know but that was the way you know that was the way that it Mm -hmm. was then you know as we were just Mm -hmm. you know we were young you know, I probably shouldn't have entered into that agreement, but it didn't matter. It, it got part of the reason why I did it was it got him off my back with some of these lyrics that I just didn't agree with, and which is why the third album, the third Love Affair album, which was everyone in the band's favorite. You know, oh. I did a majority of the writing. Writing I didn't do. We did as a band, like eyeball to eyeball, like somebody would start something, and I had the chorus for a song that I'd never finished, and I brought the chorus on in and put that with the song and stuff like that. And no. That album never came out, though, did it? It didn't come out. Only an EP came out of that record at the time. We did release it. We did finally release it. What was the year that we did the first Love Affair reunion? The first big Love Affair reunion. 2003? It was 2000, oh, it was 2003, yeah. 2003. Yeah. We re- we finally released that. That was why we called it Cleveland 1983. But that oh, one, that's what that is. Okay. Yeah. Because it. it was also the only album we recorded in our hometown. You know, the first mm-hmm. two albums mm-hmm. were recorded down in Florida. And, uh, you know, because we've been on the road so much, we had decided we would really like to write, uh, record an album at home, you know, because mm-hmm. we were also at that age where the, being at home wouldn't have been a distraction. And if anything, it ended up being a comfort. And everything fell into line. Barry Moraz produced the record, you know, who had like, you know, nine platinum albums with sticks or gold albums with sticks. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my home. player stuff and we were excited because he was excited he passed up on other projects to do this album and we were in between record deals at that time and uh so we were really really excited but i think what the excitement was our management was trying to oversell the album i mean they were looking for a big big record deal and uh and you know and i think that, that that became a little bit of a problem we finally released an ep on rca but that's what led 
to me leaving right. our management then. I mean, we had everything in place. Barry Moraes produced the record. I forget who was was it Jelly Bean Benitez. He was one of the biggest uh, uh, dance mixers at the time. Oh, we had Jelly a song Bean was, was big back this, then. Yeah. And we went, and and he did it for for the song they were going to release as a single called Love Strike. up in a Canadian tour and our manager decided that they were going to remix the song <laughs> and yeah. didn't tell me there was nothing I could do about it and they slowed down the track mm-hmm. I went nuts while I was up yeah. in Canada being full well knowing that there'd be nothing I could do when I could hear it and he said well wait till you hear it well it was worse than I thought it was going to be so I immediately met with a lawyer then and was getting ready to dissolve our relationship and it was like I met with a lawyer I met with a lawyer the day <laughs> The evening after we had done our picture posing for for being with RCA Dream Records with the the EP mm. release, and I, I made sure I had all the ducks in line and everything in line because and on New Year's, I think it was uh, New Year's Day on in the 1983 no no 1984 okay. went and uh, went in office and went to dissolve dissolve all of our you know our agreements and stuff you know. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it never got ugly, but it got it got problematic for a moment. But we ended up um, we ended up getting away. Returned to our name, Love Affair, because that was another thing they wanted to release yeah. that album under the name of Unknown Stranger, which we thought yeah. was was. I wanted a, to ask you about that. Yeah, it was good. That, that, that was going to cause problems. I mean, I do know, like when our first album came out. You got to remember that was in May of 1980. Um, Love Affair to the Rock Station sounded like it was a disco band mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. name, and so they weren't um, they weren't necessarily jumping on the record right away. Right, right. And and of course, if there was what was left of your disco stations, they'd hear and go, "Whoa, we can't play this." Yeah. So they they always thought the name the name was a problem. Well, it didn't matter. We'd gone through two albums and established ourselves, and we had mm-hmm. established ourselves before that. You, you, you just can't make a change then at that time and, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't a good thing it actually even started hurting our live performances which were never heard before not mm-hmm. locally but in the markets that we had built up you know like up in canada and down right. in florida it would hurt those markets so yeah. we immediately went back to our name love affair and 1984 was a great i mean financially touring wise it was i mean and trap playing wise it was a, it was a great year but too much too many changes had happened you know yeah. we were we were all all the same five people for nine years of the ten years of the band, and right before we went to go record the uh, the album in '83, our lead guitarist wanted to you know wanted to leave the band, and uh, he just had his second child was born, and he didn't mm-hmm. want to miss important years and stuff. Sure. And then about four months later, our bass player left. So mm-hmm. of course the primary guys were still in the band: Wes Kubal, myself, and the drummer, which were a big part of the band performance wise and what people knew and stuff, but it wasn't the same. And, yeah. uh, and we just knew it wasn't the same. And yeah. I was starting to look on to doing something else and all that. And we finally, after we came off of one of our Canadian tours in 84, 
I had a meeting, and then we all we all voted to fold the band and you know That's play rough. some dates on out. Yeah. I had already had myself lined up to start recording in my new project together that was going to be called Richard and the Heartbeats at that time. Too. Yeah. Unknown Stranger, 
and then it's back to love affair. I mean, well, you, well, we so know you now know, never, you can't it, do that it, it, without diluting your name and your yeah, brand. Yeah, but so you understand, process. when it was that L.A. on the album, because it still said L.A. is love affair on the album. Yeah, okay, small. yeah, true. We never true. changed our name. They just yeah. wanted to accentuate, accentuate the, the yeah. initials and stuff. The only real official name change was that one time, and then we went back to it for that year and, and yeah. you know, for our last year. And uh, But, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's too bad. It's an interesting business. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's something that comes up a lot on this podcast is how often the fate of these great bands is out of their control. Somebody yeah. somewhere makes a business decision and it affects the lives of people like you for the rest of your life. Well, yeah, and well, it's okay. not and even you know about musical merit, you know? Yeah. You guys write great songs. But that has nothing to do with it. It becomes some political move that yeah. that uh, that, co- that affects you forever. Yeah, but you know, I mean, in 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 defense of their bad moves, you know, mm. they all were really with good intentions. You know, because yeah, everybody wants true. to make everybody wants to make money. You know, and yeah. stuff. And so, you know, I mean, it's it's why I'm not bitter or not bothered by some of the things. It's like everybody. It's just a, it's just that you know yeah. everybody's got an opinion. They did the best and, they could with what they had at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and so some and there was some, sometimes in life you're supposed to hold pat with what you are and and yeah. brave brave the storm. If you really think about it, most groups that we love, whatever their name is, their name was just what their name was. Yeah. What it represents is what we knew is to be their music. You know. Right. Right. Like, you know, like you know. Like I think the Beatles is the greatest name in the in the world, you know, and putting the A in their Beatles. Sure. But you know what? If the band was a failure, somebody could look and say, "Wow, what a stupid name!" Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. You just never I mean, know, I right? I that blasphemous, but you don't, you yeah. know. No, it's you know, true. It's perception true. becomes whatever, you know. Yeah. Whatever the it's group reality. becomes, yeah. you know. Yeah. So let me. I want to dig in a little bit about kind of some of the specifics around uh, love affairs performance out there i'm curious mm-hmm. now you guys released two albums in real time back in the late 70s yeah. early 80s yeah. right yeah the first yeah, was, was actually the... yeah we recorded in 79 but we actually released okay first album was released in 1980 second album in 81 yeah okay now again forgive me i'm i'm almost 42 so really your heyday was before my time yeah and like i said love you guys were one of those bands that has been difficult to find I'm glad I found your website, but other than that, it's difficult to find too much information on Love Affair out there. Yeah. So what kind of, do you have a sense of how many units your albums sold? I know Mama Says off the first album was a bit of a hit. Your Mama Says until I say I do, you say you won't. But I got news for you until you say you do, I don't. Your Mama Says until I say I do, you say you won't. But I got news for you until you say you do, I don't I don't get no satisfaction Hang around your door Good first you do and then you don't I won't take that anymore I don't get no satisfaction Did it actually 
reach the top 40 or the top 100 or anything like that? Well, where it was, because remember, um, Atlantic Records had not taken on Radio Records at that moment when, when our mm. first album was out, but it was one of the reasons why they did, because mm. they felt it would have been a number one hit had they had it right from the beginning, you know. Okay. Wherever, Love, wherever Mama Says got airplay was either top 10 or up to number one. Interesting. But, but because the label was a young independent label, you know, mm-hmm. and when I say young independent, no different than necessarily what Chrysalis was in the beginning, you know. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but like when we were coming off the charts in Florida and, and Cleveland, we were entering the charts in, say, Little Rock, Arkansas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. we, so nationally, we sat at bubbling under you know, which was what they called it then, like anywhere between 99 and 102 and stuff like that mm-hmm. okay. for a long time. Like, in other words, in other words, if all the, if where we did get airplay, if we would all hit at the same time, we would have, we would have probably had a bona fide national hit, you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but it didn't work out that way. I mean, but consequentially the first album, but only the first album was, uh, 17 weeks in the top 20, uh, of imports in England. You know. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh which I found Did you guys out. ever play over there? No, never played over there. We never played some of the places where where Mama says was a charted hit single, you know, and when we toured the areas <laughs> that we toured and stuff. Yeah. I mean, but that's you know, I've I've learned when I've talked to some other groups and stuff like that, they, these kinds of things just happen. You just you yeah. know where where yeah. as far as how actual sales were because I was too young to know how to touch, do any of that, uh, really find sure. out that stuff. Anyways, but it did go into a second pressing, you know. Okay. And I did okay. make decent royalties, you know, at, at the time of songwriting royalties, you know. Sure, and, sure. Uh, at, at, you know, at, at the time. So, okay. so, you know, it did okay. I mean, one thing it definitely did was it launched, it really bona fidely launched my career, which which indirectly yeah. led into all the other things that I did, you know. Yeah, I like you the way you say that. It gave you your bona fides. It allowed you to then you have a license or some some meat, some heat behind you to do other things and kind of maintain a career after that. Well, yeah, yeah. and also and also became a road dog. I mean, we did tour. True. In other words, True. it did know it. I mean, I, I I mean I I know some people that don't know how to travel. You know, just because yeah. they never really did travel. I was already a, a veteran road dog. You know, twenty six yeah. years old. You know, yeah. and twenty five years old. Now, you sound uh, disappointed with the second album. And honestly, the second album is the only thing I've actually heard. I mean, I've heard the songs that are on YouTube from, by the way, classic, classic videos on YouTube. I think you were the one who put them on there. Some, uh, the style and the sound and the DJs introducing you guys. Oh, yeah, that was from the couple TV shows that, oh. that I did have and stuff, yeah. That and and that, was our third, that was our third album, the one that has the one with the DJ on there where we're doing yeah. Video World and City Video Street. World, I love that.
Yeah. And and that was also a prime example of what happens once a band was like touring. In other words, even our look, we were changing. Like, looking back at it now, I didn't think about it now, but it was once we finally started traveling. And don't get me wrong, as a local band, we, we played a tri-state area. We did not stay just in Cleveland and all that. But when you actually started touring, there's just a different kind of growing up, you know, going into New York City and playing the Billboard convention and stuff like that. Our hairstyles have changed. Our clothes styles have changed. We really looked like nobody but ourselves at that point, you know, by that point. And, I mean, it's funny for me looking back at that. I'm, You know, that's more like hindsight. I'm going like, wow, we were changing really yeah. fast, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and the songs. The songs were, you know, lyrically there was more depth to the songs, more real-world subjects and stuff. Or, you know, when I say not just light, light teen love songs, you know, or teen angst, yeah. you know. And, yeah, uh, definitely. So, um, so the second album, though, was a disappointment? It was a disappointment because, you know, our first producer, he was a character that we did the first album with, but we liked him because everything, he was really trying to capture the attitude and stuff of the band live. That was Peter Sikarek, who was Melanie, who, you know, Melanie from Lay Down, you know, and I got a brand new pair of roller mm-hmm. skates, you got a brand new key. It was her husband who produced our first album. Okay. And we had a blast with him and all that. Well, when the label, we would do the second second album, it was it was the staff producer for the label, which I already made it tougher, was was uh, yeah. was producing it. And he wasn't a good producer. He was good at remixing the record. He remixed our first album, and that was great, but he wasn't a really good producer. He didn't know how to bring the best out in people. And sadly, some of the songs, well, half the songs on that album, I, I consider to be... A, definitely better than off of our first album but they recording wise they didn't felt like the life was out of the band didn't like Mm. the way most of my vocals felt very life wise guitar wise i thought they were making them smaller than what they were i mean all the songs from do you wanna And all those sounded yeah. way better live than they did on the really? record. And and oh. uh, and that technically shouldn't be that way. I mean, we were a good live band, but it shouldn't be more like they sounded like great records. <laughs> and stuff. Right, right. And I will say this about our manager, though. As our manager, he, cause he, and he wasn't there. You know, where normally he would have gotten his nose in there when there was problems, but he was busy up in Cleveland with some other stuff. And he came down there, and they're standing down there, and there are even some of the representatives from, from Atlantic. They're going, do you want it? That's going to be a classic rock track, and mm-hmm. this is going to be this and that. And my manager looked at me, whispered in the ear, and he had like always a German accent. He went, yeah, yeah, those songs are classic. I don't know anything about music. What? <laughs> I mean, he was already very... kind of disappointed. Yeah, and yeah. It this, I mean, but, it, but it was more like... He came down there, he was here, and he was disappointed versus what he was hearing live and stuff. And so that's what I mean when it's like, like, like it ended up being a disappointment. There was just all kinds mm-hmm. of things. And then there was pressure on it. You know, that's when they wanted to use the L.A. initials, but they'd have love affair on yeah. it. 
And we hated the album cover. But our manager, he left it up to us. He wasn't going to tell them no. He goes, Mm -hmm. we could tell them no, but that could mean that the album doesn't come out. And so you're sitting there going like, we can't have that happen. All right, we'll just go for it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I... um the first song that I heard off of it was Easy Come, Easy Go. Yeah, um, that yeah. Was like the thing that song was cooler live than it was then. Really? Yeah, yeah. See, it's yeah. funny because um, that was the song that I found on YouTube first. Yeah. And um, I thought, well, this is a fun, catchy little ditty, you know? Yeah. But then when I found the rest of your album, I mean, it's legitimately hard rock. In fact, I was re-listening to it again today, and I was thinking – I'm hearing I'm hearing songs like I Need You So and uh, Woman. sound just like the songs that like Kiss would have been putting out around that time. I mean, oh, not, that could have been, even though I'm not necessarily a fan of Kiss, but I do understand what you're saying. I totally yeah, understand. I mean, you know, which is which also brought up a, a a problem while we were doing the album that you just reminded me of. You know, I've just forgotten about uh-huh. it. You know, it's sure. If you listen to some of the different songs on there, you also see like it it squeezing in different things because there was a disagreement between Radio mm-hmm. Records and also Atlantic about where the band should be heading. Yeah. Atlantic wanted more of the hard, more more of the harder version of who we were off mm-hmm. the first album. And Radio Records themselves wanted the more pop, popular version. Sure. So if you yeah. listen to the album you'll hear you'll hear the disparity like yeah. Too Many Hearts which is a song that I love that I wrote I used to believe in you, but baby, now I know the truth. You, I looked at me with sad eyes, wishing I didn't have to say goodbye. Then you forget I'm even alive, and I that should have been recorded by somebody else other than Love Affair because mm. it wasn't really made for where the band was or where Atlantic wanted the band yeah. to head. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. and so it, it ended up being that you just had... May, and maybe that's the thing, is I, I just felt that the album was a little bit directionless. Whereas the first mm. album, even though I can hear mistakes on the first album, I can hear pitchiness, and, 
in, in my singing. Sometimes I'm sharp on certain things, stuff. But the album all had one. It had a consistent attitude, and mm-hmm. and you know, okay. And I thought that the second album was a little bit all over the all over the map, and not in a good way. You know, I mean, not yeah. like when you have yeah. an album where you hear an artist because, you know. Like the mm-hmm. Eagles could have all different kinds of styles in one record, but it still sounds like the Eagles, you know. True. And, yeah. And yeah. That, you know that kind of thing, or especially the Beatles, they can go here or there, like that. I I just felt like no, ours was just more like mm-hmm. directionless because the man at the helm, the guy producing it, was. Yeah. We were being kind of split all over the place. Interesting. Yeah, you can you can hear that tension between the pop side and the hard rock side in the in what in the same song let alone yeah. track by track. But I think that's part of the magic. I mean, honestly, it, uh, we get, I don't know, I understand from a marketing perspective why bands are put in silos or in you know verticals and then expected to stay there. But one of the things I think is fun, especially about pre-MTV rock, is that it's slightly more adventurous. There, you'll hear an album and it'll have forays into this area or that area, and maybe they don't. Maybe it isn't consistent, but I think that's part of the fun. But I can understand well, well, if I yeah, were a label I, person I agree with you, but I how think, difficult but I that think, would be to market. But I think you could feel it more. Like yeah, Easy Come Easy yeah, Go song true. that you just brought up right there. I thought yeah. the guitar should have still been more wound out. In other words, in my head, I could have heard that more like Queen being slight more pop. In other uh, words, Brian yeah. May didn't calm down his guitar. He just Good played point. like even a... Bah, nah, nah, nah. It should yeah. have just had that fat and free and easy, almost like saying, okay, get out of the way. It's my turn. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and I, I do. I would have been happy with that. But but them trying to like lighten up certain yeah. things and, and heavy up. And I guess that's the thing that I mean is that even all the groups, even when they when they if they go really light, and you know, and you're talking about somebody that loves totally loves adult contemporary music too. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you'd see by any of my elder solo stuff. It's like you don't believe in love songs. You don't believe in dreams. You believe that love's a forgotten word. Trust is so evil minded. No, you don't believe in love songs. It was just a matter of they were put, they were trying to pull the band in different directions mm-hmm. instead, of, instead of letting the band be yeah. the way it wanted to be on, on sure. any of the songs. It makes sense. Plus, you're an artist, and you want to be true to your vision. And if it's being, you know, moved around and and stretched in areas that aren't comfortable to you, that and, that's and not with that your being said, we got to see why Barry Moraz had the platinum records that he had mm-hmm. because Barry Moraz, yeah. first day of pre-production, he looked at us, he said. He said, "Nothing that I think isn't isn't good is mm-hmm. going to go, is going to be done in the studio." But with right. that being said, anything you're not happy with, any any mm-hmm. ideas that I have you're not happy with, it's not going to be done either. I don't care if we spend four days in pre-production on one song till we're all happy, because right. because once I'm through with the record, it is your life for the next two years. Mm-hmm. You know True. that kind of yeah. thing. And it was the most wonderful experience, and that's also part of the reason why we loved that that the the whole yeah. re, uh, recording of that, that that record because it was a joy. And then working with such a pro like him, and we're going like, oh yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And yep. and it's like no wonder he has gold and platinum yeah, records. True, true. Yeah. So I'm curious. I I um, 
is now none of this stuff is available on iTunes or Spotify or anything uh, like the that. The only reason I, I'll tell you, the only reason it's not, it would be available. It would be available now. I mean, you know, some. My gosh, I, I don't have it at my. I don't have it at my fingertips, but a few years ago we had signed a a, a thing. It was, it was a label. I can't remember what the name of the are, and you can still get the the love. Is of the it called uh, Retrospect? Retrospect, yeah. You know yeah. what they were, and what they were getting was was uh, was eighties uh, art bands that were like before yeah. CD eras, where they didn't release them on CD, and they did a technical CD release on it. I could still do this, the thing. The Love Affair album would be on iTunes once I get one of the guys from Love Affair to open up a TuneCore account. I mean, my Got reason it. is that I have a TuneCore account, so my solo records are all up, and they're on Spotify, yep. and they're all that. Yeah, I've been listening but the to thing them. is, is there's no way for me to to do the accounting to separate. In other words, because Love Affair, we still are. The five guys, we're all still really close friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. But even though I you know, wrote all the songs, I mean, especially the last thing, wrote majority of the writing and all that. Anything that, that sells from Love Affair right now, we split five ways all the way down the thing. And I don't have a way of, like, tracking it. But I sure. guarantee you sometime within the next six months it will be up there. I just have to get oh, probably Wes together and say, here, Wes, open up the account. Because then it's real easy. Anything that comes into that mm-hmm. account, he's just got to write five checks out. You know what I mean? Good. Whereas That's I so... can't track it between my solo stuff sure. and the Love Affair stuff okay. in my own account. That's so interesting because when I found – that retrospect records website just recently and i saw it those all three of uh love affair albums are on there and they were selling for like 4.99 and i thought to the best of my knowledge this stuff has never come out on cd so i actually emailed them and asked is this legitimate a legitimate release or am i getting some kind of a bootleg scratchy recording off of a vinyl scratch and they were like no this is all legitimate yes yeah, so I, I, I got them all the artwork i gave them all the masters and, and all that and it is good and why it's that cheap now is because the deal was only for x amount of years and, and we did make some decent money you know what i mean good. off it they good. were good i mean they they were good at sending it back and i think why the why it's down that cheap now is because we're out of the thing now and they're just probably reselling out the rest of their stock that's great okay you know See, yeah. I didn't. It, I wasn't. It didn't smell right to me, and I wasn't sure. And now that you verify that it's legit, I'm going to go buy them. Yeah, um, yeah. And he was, and he good. was a good. And and on top of that, all he was, he was a good guy. I read the checks came in with oh, the with the news. details and all that. He's uh-huh. a guy out of out of uh, Las Vegas area. That's. That okay. That. And I just think it's a. I, I thought it was a really really cool thing because. It's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because the fringe. So many bands on here. Exactly the fringe guys. Get their stuff out there, right? Now, well, if I buy these, are you going to get a piece of this? Because the fringe artists were really big in whatever yeah. area that they were in. You know, that's like yeah. when you said to me before we were talking how it was. You know, fame, when it was at its peak, to me it was no different than if we had had a number one million seller. In other words, where really? we were big, we were really, really big. And we were always Good. really big locally, even when we were younger, I, you know, my joke okay. was is I didn't know I was short until Love Affair had folded. I was still short until Love Affair had folded. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, now, I'm curious. So, uh, I mean, obviously you guys were big in Ohio, but w- there were moments when you heard your stuff on the radio 
in other parts of the country or the world. Oh, oh right? yeah. In fact, that was where it was the most exciting. I mean, at time there was a time period in Cleveland where I was actually changing the station when our song came on because I was, you know, it, was, it went from being head. excited not to being sick about, but I was like looking to listen to other stuff. I know that stuff. But yeah. there was also the exciting moments. I mean, you know, MMS wasn't just the biggest station here. It was one of the biggest highly respected stations around the nation. And when we're hearing some of them DJs playing some of the album tracks, like that's when it became more of a thrill yeah. to us. We were hearing some of the cool. album tracks. So then we, they were also playing some of the live cuts when we did their instant radio spectaculars, you know, very cool and stuff. Yeah. But like, I remember we were going through Georgia. We we're going to be playing in Georgia. And I hear mama says on the, on the radio station, we're playing that night. That was, a, you know, I could, there's all those moments that were like a big thrill the first time, yeah. you know, of course, of course. Oh, that's great. Now, uh, I think I asked a question earlier, but I didn't hear the response. If I buy these CDs off of Retrospect Records' website, do you get a piece of this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, good, yeah. good. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to make sure this, I mean, a big part of this podcast is to shine the light on the bands that deserve more attention. And if I buy these, I want to make sure you're getting Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be getting our piece, just a smaller piece sure. now that you're sending it sure. for four four ninety nine. Of course. <laughs> so. As long as you're getting something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, now, when it, you were mentioning fame at its peak during this time, what were you opening for, or were you headlining big shows that we would know? Did anyone famous open for you? Well, Did you, you know, it's another thing that could be it's another thing that could be a, a mistake in direction that we did because we had a big show, you know, mm -hmm. with us. We chose to go the route where we were where we were usually headlining in like places that would be like clubs that were concert nights. You know, we were doing concerts, mm -hmm. but we did play some big things. We opened up for groups. So, you know, we opened. We opened up for ACDC. We played with, you know, uh, nice. Pat Benatar and Eddie Money during the time periods. And, uh, wow. I'm uh, trying to think Huey Lewis in the news and stuff. But okay. for the most part, because we had a big stage show, you know, we had a revolving drum riser and all that that was built by us, you know, by our, actually by our, yeah. by our lead guitarist and our bass player. You know, the one was a great electronics whiz, and the other one was a great guy that could build almost anything, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, good. And, okay. Yeah, but so so so, and I and I mean, unfortunately, so now I can once again give you hindsight. Like Premier Talent wanted sure. to sign us when yeah. Mama says was a hit, but the agency kind of talked us out of it. Not not our management company, but the booking agency mm. was also booking us because we wouldn't be able to use our stage thing, and sometimes people are still right. coming in at those things and all that. But the real truth is, we'd have been playing for fifteen thousand people. You know, at at least yeah. ten thousand people, as opposed to a thousand people with our full show. We we should we should have done that, and I think our yeah. manager realized the mistake then too. But see, at that okay. point, when our second album was out, then they weren't asking for us. And see, and that yeah. was the thing that premiere. You know, because I mean, yeah. I can name groups that were ones that opened. Remember, Kansas op was was an opening act on on big big shows for years before they were mm -hmm. big. You know. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. Jay Giles, if you get down to it, you know, they were just yeah. such a great live band that people like loved them. So, sure. you know, but you know, hindsight is okay. always twenty twenty. Sure, of course. Okay, okay. Well, let's um, let's move beyond love affair real quick. Yeah. Do you have any regrets about the love affair period of your life? No, I was I was young. It was all a learning yeah. experience, you know. Yeah. Everything that everything that happened, you know, is just other ripples that made me who I am. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so after that, I mean, you move on to, you start Richard and the Heartbeats, and um, I think there may have even been another band or two in there, but eventually you get a gig with Gary Lewis and the Playboys, right? She took it off her finger now, it doesn't mean a thing. 
wasn't that I did a gig with them. Uh, my bass player that I had in Richard and Heartbeats at the moment, and he wasn't he wasn't my longtime member. He was just in the early part, but he had gotten called. Uh, I mean, he, uh, Gary had asked him to put together a put together a new Playboys. Gary was living okay. in the Cleveland area at the time. Oh, and he did. I wondered and I was why he would have called you guys. Okay. And and he was first, and 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 this bass player first asked me if I wanted to play keys for a date, but I didn't. I, I mean, I was getting ready to bring out my first single and all that, and I didn't. And then I was, um, then there was a, then there was a moment when he asked me if I could just do these two gigs and two shows with Gary, and I said yes, mm. and I did it. And I loved doing the shows, and Gary was wonderful to me. Don't misunderstand sure. that, but Gary was sure. still drinking at the time. Uh, and okay. it's kind of crazy. So I told yeah. his manager when he asked me, because Gary loved me, wanted me for other dates and stuff, I said, I said, man, I just can't do it. My single's coming out right now. And to be honest, I don't know who I'm going to see anytime. You know, I don't want to fly down to Houston and then see a guy mm-hmm. that's like crazy and stuff like that. Yeah. So when Gary went and got sober, his manager called me and asked me to put together a new Playboys. Okay. And that was the first time that I stepped away from fronting. Yeah. And I went and I went and played keyboards and I became his musical director and put together the band. And that uh, initially at that moment was who Richard and the Heartbeats were at that point. Ah, uh, gotcha. And I was okay. only going to do it for a year. You know, just lick my wounds because I, I mean, I could say I was blessed that I was doing nothing but my own material from 1980 sure. to, to, to 1987. But also, you know, the slings and arrows of the business mm-hmm. was like. Getting was was getting me, and I and I knew yeah. I was. I mean, I knew I was talented. I mean, and I knew that that I should be able to make fine money, you know, mm-hmm. making music and stuff. So I was just going to do that for a year and then go back to my own career. Interesting. Well, I ended up loving the fact that my heroes were now my friends because also every summer yeah. Gary headlined a tour and we would back up other we back up all the artists on a tour and stuff like that. And I also kind of liked the position. And to be honest, the man that solidified it for me was Sonny Geraci, who, oh, uh, you okay. know, from, from The Outsiders, you know, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and Climax, you know, Precious and Few, and uh, Time Won't yeah. Let Me. Sure. He just looked at me because he was a Clevelander, too. In fact, he was doing, when he was bringing out a solo album, he opened up for Love Affair and stuff, too, at one oh, time. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but anyways, he looked at me and he said, Rich, he goes, he goes, you're a great front man, but there are a lot of great front mans out there. Mm. He goes, you're a great singer, and there's a lot of great singers out there. He goes, you're a great songwriter. There's not that many great songwriters, mm. you know, out there. He goes, mm. sure. He goes, but you, as a musical director, you give 110 percent of yourself to somebody else, and you know what it's like to front. He goes, there's mm. not many people out there like that. Interesting. And he goes. He goes, you could have an entire career like this. Yeah. And he, goes, he said, you, he, goes, he goes, you'll never be without work. He goes, because too many people don't know how to give 100% of themselves to someone else. Wow. And, uh, and I remember the words at then. I mean, I remember yeah. it then, and then I just decided to go with it. And look, I mean, yeah. it was, was 1988. Next... So it was 98, yeah. 2008. It's a, uh, wow. 20, 20, 27, 28, 28 years, years now. 27 years, yeah. And, and counting, and that's the yeah. way, and and that's the way that it's been. And they are my friends, and I do get called. I get called, to, you know, to to play for for some of the ones that I worked with before, and and you know, and also, I, if I was going to say anything that was tough for me, fronting, I love fronting, and probably as a front man, I'm still probably best at that than anything that I that I that I did. 
but I wasn't the best with getting all the attention. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what it, what it is. Is that you know, like I'd rather talk sports or I'd rather talk something politics oh. or anything else than than me or somebody telling me how great they thought I was or or this and that and stuff. Yeah. And not that I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a weird dichotomy. Do I enjoy the fact that I'm that I really liked? Yeah, sure. but it, but it was like I wasn't as good with with that. Where I was really good with being one step removed, being on the big stage, uh-huh. but being uh-huh. one step removed from all that. And maybe that's, that's, that's also true. the reason why the lead singers that I've worked with appreciate it is because I know yeah. that they have the hardest job. Sure. I sure. know when I'm with Peter Noon, he has the hardest job. All we're, yeah. all we're doing, you know, but of course if it's a great show, we're all great. If, it's, if it, was, yeah. it would be a bad show, it'll all hang on him, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Or any of them. And so I kind of like that kind of position. Plus, that was where my ego was uh, fulfilled. Hearing my heroes admire what I do. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, Sonny Geraci loving my songwriting and me producing a couple of records for him. Gary loving loving my songs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Them loving what I do. That's It's a fulfillment to me that nobody else knows, but sure. it does fulfill me, you know. That, uh, that's, first of all, first and foremost, that's amazing. I mean, I think most people in their life would love to stumble on the thing that they didn't even know they'd end up being good at and then excel at it and have it be a comfortable, fun living for the rest of their life. I mean, you, you have to know how lucky you are that you've, you've Oh, I, 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 you want to know what? As every year goes by, I feel more luckier and more blessed. Because sure. I yeah. can even take it from back when Love Affair first got its size. We thought we were great. We thought we were uh-huh. special. We thought that we should get this or, or get that. But even then, as you move on in the years, well, there's somebody great in every friggin' city in the world. Sure. Like there's usually yeah. a few people that are great. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's also what they don't understand is why a label would be so easy to discard because they can find talent, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's everywhere. So that's the first lesson I learned. But then now as I get older and older, you know, and I travel all the time, you know, with, yeah. with, again, right now for the last 10 years with Peter Noon with Terminus Herman. Woke up this morning feeling fine. There's something special on my mind. Last night I met a new girl in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Something tells me I'm into something good. Something She's the kind of girl who's not too shy And I can tell I'm her kind of guy She danced close to me like I hope she would She danced with me like I hope she would Something tells me I'm into something good Is that any time I walk into a, a little lounge or whatever I sometimes hear somebody, I'll hear a keyboard player that blows me away And I know that he'll probably never make his living doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it, in other words, there's it, talent Talent is not what, what guarantees. No. So it humbles you, you know, or you go yeah. and hear another singer, another great front man, you know, and you're in Oshkosh, whatever, you know. And, right, right. And, 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 and you're going like, man, and that's, and that's, that just humbles you more. In other yeah. words, yeah, yeah. I, I feel that I'm blessed. I mean, you on the blessed. short answer, I could say I just said yes more than I said no. But the mm. fact is, is that I was able it to out. do it, you know, yeah. and, 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 and it worked, you know, 
it works out. And yeah. I mean, I do understand the thing of this business anyways is really to be able to give. I love mm-hmm. the music that I, I love the records of the, uh, of the artists that I play for. That's and great. I try to do them the way that they are. Yeah. I don't try to think that I know a hipper way to do them or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's also been part of the longevity, you know. Yeah. Is that well, I'm sure I'm, that's why they love you as a side man. Yeah, I, I, I love trying good. to create the magic of what their records were. Yeah, sure. Um, now, you mentioned humbling. I, uh, I'm i curious. And looking back on it now, obviously, it was absolutely the right decision. But was there a part of you that struggled with the idea of, you know, you had been pushing as the front man of a rock group for 10 years. and. Yeah. And it begins to kind of, this is kind of the crux of this podcast. It, it finally sort of fizzles out, you know, and um, you're faced with a new decision. Where do I go from here? You're obviously talented. Um, was it, was there a part of you that welcomed this new challenge as sideman in essentially oldies bands? I mean, and I believe that's your term. I'm not, that, I don't mean to be. Well, I mean, oh, but I mean, from the 60s, yeah. I know it's, yeah, you know, right. yeah, it's I probably should knew that term anyways because it usually means a derogatory connotation, and I don't mean that that way. No, I, mean, I didn't you know, either. I, yeah. Yeah, in other words, I mean it in, in the right. 60s, the artists of the music I grew up with, you know. Sure, and, yeah, that's true. So was there any kind of you that was sort of, was there a part of you that was, struggling with the decision to go from front man of a modern rock group to the side man of a, of a classic rock. I classic wish I could artist. say that it was, but it was like, ended up being the easiest decision I ever made because oh, I enjoyed being, huge. I enjoyed being back on the big stage and sure. I was always, and I wasn't somebody that never was deceived by the fact. I mean, the joke that I used to make is, is that, because so, I've had people ask me, don't you miss running? I mean, do I miss running? Of course I'll miss running. But I, mm-hmm. it, just like I would miss doing this if I wasn't doing this anymore. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. They're almost like, yeah. it's almost like a, it's a two different hats, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and, but like what I said to them is I said, but if you don't have a hit record, all you're left to be is the fat Italian singer in a wedding band when you're older, you know? <laughs> I mean, not right. that I am, but I mean, I'm like, oh, right. like, you know, heavy, but I mean, in other words, yeah. or, or or fronting in a lounge band for, 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 yeah. for you know, and that's not something that I would have enjoyed doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. In other words, in other words it would have, it was going to change anyways. I made the change before it yeah. did. I mean, I don't, I mean, I might have shortchanged what could have happened with my career had I had I stayed focused on it during that time period. But I don't have any regrets because no. I also know the percentages in it, you know. Sure. And I did already have my moment, so that could have been my moment, you know. Yeah. I was already yeah. thirty, and it's still at that time in music you were considered to be like old then, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you kind of had your chance, and it. You know, it, it came and, and I enjoy, went and, and I enjoy yeah. what I had. And you know, Love Affair did a reunion in 2012, and, yeah. we, and we sold out the first show. They added a second show, Great. and we we got a near sell out then. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I never kidded myself that those those moments yeah. could only happen once in a while. You yeah. know, yeah, you can, I mean, you, you know, the only hope that there would be, a, 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 yeah. a, and and I mean, maybe that's the reason why when you want to know the durability or my durability or my lasting in in this business is that I was always really well aware of my age, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, even mm-hmm. though I stayed, I, I say I still look like a kid at 35. I don't anymore. Mm-hmm. I look like I'm, a, you know, now, but I did then. And uh, but uh, and and the peculiarities of the business. So I was mm-hmm. always ready, readily prepared yeah. to move into the next phase. You know, that's amazing. I mean, you you sort of like defied the odds. It's like you had this prescient idea of what was going to be coming, and you you managed to. I mean, it's I see. I think of it almost as like an actor who um, wants to be a star, but maybe gets a role on a sitcom. But it lasts forever, or a role yeah, in a, yeah. it, on you a know commercial. What? That, that is a good way. That is a good or way a to voiceover. Put it. You know what I'm saying? So maybe you don't become the Oscar winner that you thought you were going to be, but you've got a steady paycheck and the respect of your peers, and it goes on year after year after year. And that maybe at the end of the day is more satisfying than the struggle that you thought you had to go through. Well, because what you, because what it really comes down to is I'm still in the probably the ten percent. Yes, you are. On to be yes. in the business, and so it's like you know, um, s- success comes in all different kinds of ways. And the true success is if you're able to make your living doing what you enjoy doing. And I do enjoy making music. If you don't put mm-hmm. conditions on it, then you can enjoy it. You know, yeah. like during my years with Gary Lewis, there was a time period where the majority of my income came came from Gary, but there was a time period where it was 50-50. It was sometimes me producing. It was sometimes That's great. me also playing out locally and stuff. Uh, I've been blessed with being with, with Peter Noon because he is the he is the, the, the probably one of the best entertainers and, mm-hmm. and one of the best singers at his, you know, his, at his age, you know, too, mm-hmm. of any of the ones from the 60s. We work a lot. Um, 90% of my income comes, you know, comes from him. And that's mm-hmm. partially because I've dialed it down when I'm at home because I also advance his shows and stuff okay. too. But it's because I am bringing, you know, I am bringing that in. So I'm not doing yeah. quite as much producing and stuff, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I really want to really, you know, I want to bring out another album. And I'd rather yeah. have the time for doing another album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been listening and, to your solo albums. And when we touched your body, Have you gotten from those? And by the way, they're they're very different. When you you mentioned earlier about sort of veering toward adult contemporary music, I'm glad you said that because that's that's what it sounds like to me. It's almost I I hope this is a compliment. I certainly mean it as such. Your voice to me sounds a cro- like a cross between almost John Anderson of Yes and like Leo Sayer or something like that. Hey, Not well, as I, I take that as a compliment because I love both of those singers. Me too. Me too. Great. <laughs> so that's, I, so oh, I, I'm so, so glad so you said you. that. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and and you, you know what it is is that is that um, I write more stuff like that fat, quicker and stuff. And oh, because okay. I was going through years where I was writing stuff for Sonny that way. The other thing was too is that um, my fan my my fan base, whatever mm-hmm. there is, and the people that like me, they're also older. And I was yeah. really more going for 
I was more going for that market. I mean, yeah. I mean, you'll be the first one to even know this right now. Is that is that the next album I, that I'm going to bring out? I'm going to call Bipolar, and, <laughs> and it is that going to sense. be it is going to be the the extremes of me. In fact, some of the yeah. adult contemporary is going to even be more adult contemporary, and it's going to also be the hardest edged that I was with some of my songwriting right. and stuff, and some of the song, and purposely, you know, just because. Yeah. I can still I can still rock really hard, you know. I just mm-hmm. did a local gig mm-hmm. with some some friends, and I was up there doing my Zeppelin and stuff, and uh, and right. and and I have some songs like that. So I'm going to purposely do that because then I don't think I'll alienate the market that I've created, no. you know, with my solo stuff. And I mean, at, at the worst, they'll laugh and giggle over the hard rock stuff, and the mm-hmm. other ones they'll be impressed by it, you know. Well, I would imagine your fans at this point have been following you forever, especially. I mean, I've been. I now follow you, and we're friends on Facebook. And um, you're busy all the time. I mean, if you're not out playing with Herman's Hermits, it sounds like you're hosting or performing in a local bar there in town or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, well, and, if, and if I had the time to book myself, I probably would even be playing more. In other words, like right? what I've said is like, you know, we had a little downtime with Peter because we were so busy from November through February that we had a couple mm-hmm. months where we had a light schedule. Well, as people started knowing I was available more, I started getting called for all of them. I don't have, I don't have the time to book me. Like mm-hmm. the, all those dates that I've done is just ones I've said yes to. But I would probably play out four or five nights if I was home four or five nights. You know, keeps my voice That's in great. shape, and I, and, I still, sure. and I enjoy it. And, and like I said, I'm on the brink of 60, and I'm more like amazed. That's my joke yeah. I told the people. I said, you know, I'm going to keep doing it until they tell me to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And, May as and, well, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. and I enjoy doing my piano bar because, you know, I, through, uh, what's been really nice is I've, re, <laughs> I've rediscovered my own material. Good. I, I've reset the enjoyment of it, and I'm starting to play out a lot more of that even when I'm doing my piano bar. You know, I got to a point where I'm going like, yeah, but this isn't really the way the song sounds, and I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I live with no regrets, but if I ever had one that I would call a regret was back in 86 and 87, 88, when I played out locally, I had a piano bar where two-thirds of my material was original material, and people were and people were also coming out. That's what they were really coming out to hear. And mm. I got tired of playing my own songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. well, how stupid is that? You know? Yeah. Some right. People, right. You know. And but you know, yeah. it was just where I was at at that time period. And more like, I wish they could hear it this way. Like this is actually supposed to sound like a rock song, not just a piano and a Pearson singer, right. you know, that kind of thing. But right. you know. Other people's perception isn't my perception. You know, and that's yeah. the other thing is a song where you have to remember. Like, what could be my personal favorite song could be the least liked song on, on my sure. album. And one of the ones that I thought was a throwaway song could be their favorite. You, know? you never know, right? You never well, that's know. because once the song's recorded and out there, it's no longer mine. It's mm-hmm. it's everyone else's. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was just yeah. like, the baby's now 18 years old and is going out into the world and is going to be whoever he's going to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or she. <laughs> I would imagine I would imagine there's a lot of satisfaction right now, at least artistically. I mean you've got the best of both worlds. You've got a you've got a paying gig that's steady yeah. and that uh where you get to shine but not in the spotlight. And then you have these other opportunities on the side whenever you want them, it seems like, to play when you want, to release music when you want, and there's enough interest there. Maybe that's maybe you couldn't necessarily pay all your bills with that stuff, or maybe you could, I don't know. 
But well, no, I mean, there was a time when like, circuit, I could have still paid my bills with it. I mean, I don't think I can't right now with that. I mean, okay. I could move to Florida and I could play locally and be able to pay my bills. You know, interesting. If okay. I had to, but but not yeah. not in Cleveland anymore. Used to be able yeah. to, but not anymore. I mean, okay. there, there's decent money yeah. to be made. Don't get me wrong. Sure, but I mean, no, I'm sure. But if you're talking like six nights a week of, of doing that and stuff, you'd be working for less money on your Tuesday night than you would be on your Friday night. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But you're getting enough – if what what you're doing now gets you enough of a response that it seems to validate your your inclinations toward writing new music and putting out new albums because it feels like, you know, all of us have some kind of a thing that we wish we could do. And maybe you, you take one step trying that thing, whatever it is. In, in your case, it's a creative, artistic endeavor. Yeah. Um, when you get validation that what you're doing is a good move, it makes it easier to take that second step and the third step. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It sounds like you're getting enough validation from your fans that's saying, you know, if I keep making music, I uh, it's worth it to me. It's worth it. It's worth the effort and it's worth the uh, the focus because I'm getting validation from my fans. Is that accurate? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and 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 to me. It doesn't even have to be many. <laughs> that that, yeah, that true, that's no, the thing exactly. as you get older. Yeah. As long as there's somebody that lo- that that loves it and somebody that that's enjoying it, that you know that's that's enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm yeah. probably I'm probably in the most comfortable time period or happiest time period of my life because I'm now also enjoying at home sometimes working with other people mm-hmm. that were that have been friends of mine for years and stuff. And I like uh, I have a, f- a local friend Jeff Fargo who's released tons of records. I produced a. Uh, uh, quite a few of his records and produced his uh, last one that came out we released them at the same time I grew up in a quiet town it had rural expectations that was before the city moved in and took away all its traditions and as a young man starting out You know, I dream my cares away. They said you can't go back home again. And now he's got one that he's doing, he's on his own that he's bringing out and stuff. And we've worked so much together in the studio, or occasionally I'd get up and sing a song. Well, we've played a couple gigs together, you know. Good, one, one we did an entire set of each of our original material and stuff. And... That's a whole different kind of enjoyment, sure. you know. I've, yeah, I've also sure. been doing a thing with this one band that has one of the guys who was from Warrant, you know, from here. that I knew him when he was a kid, you know. Really? And uh, we've done a couple gigs together. And it's like I'm playing keyboards and I'm fronting, you know. I know I just wow. took my moments fronting, then I'm also playing keyboards. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's just fun, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's also for the first time in my life that I know, I mean, basically, I'm on target that – Another four years, and I would be able to retire. Don't mistake that. I have no intentions of retiring. (laughs) Right, right. But But what I mean is the fact that that I always was self-employed and always continued to be it. But, you Mm -hmm. know, from 40 to 55, there was more like a nervousness, like if what happens, what if this happens or something happens and stuff, and I can't, what else can I do and stuff like that. And I've stayed, you know, on track, you know, and bless my yeah. parents for the way that they've been, you know, because I always, my dad was a blue collar worker, you know, worked for the Good. the newspaper, was a driver for the plain de- uh, nice. paper here, and also worked a second job. Um, they, and my mom, 
my mom was a councilman there for 20 years, but but they but still they were they were blue collar. We were middle class, mm-hmm. boy, and mm-hmm. they always supported me being in music. But they always told me you got to create your own retirement. You got to create your own yeah. retirement. Make sure you do this. Yeah. And it was that beating into me that I always did. You know, I've never yeah. lived in my entire life. I never lived what I was making that particular year. You know, I was yeah. always yeah, putting money smart. aside and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and smart. and really, I only have them to thank because I would have been just like any other musician living for mm-hmm. the day. Oh, I made X amount of dollars this right. year. Let's see where I can spend it all. You know. <laughs> exactly. Now, are you are you married? Do you have kids or anything? No, I'm not married. I've never been married. I almost got married in the beginning of the '90s, and the way that that didn't work out, it kind of like left me a little bit sour for a bit. I mean, I have a girlfriend right. that I've been with for, okay. for quite a few years and stuff, but no, okay. and I and I don't have any. You know, kids was something. I probably wouldn't have done unless I got married and it was with a woman wanted to because I always knew I was going to be a road dog. And mm-hmm. yeah. I would have believed that a child being born should, at least from the beginning, deserve to, deserve to have sure. what I had with my parents, knowing that I had two parents all the time and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of wasn't on my agenda. That's the other thing. I, just, I accepted who I was. I, but I guess, you know, I didn't choose music. Mm-hmm. Music chose me. I just realized right. I had no choice but to follow it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, and that makes it easier to start planning that retirement and things like that because it's just it's just you and your girlfriend at this point. I'm guessing yeah. that you got to yeah. kind of factor into this. Okay. Yeah, but, but um, the other thing is, if I would have had kids, they would have definitely been factored into that too. Oh, I sure. Still and they never it, you know? they never see you. You know, you'd be, <laughs> but they never see yeah. me. They'd have been no. taken care of, but they never see me, and I, right. I didn't really want that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, lastly. Tell me a little bit. I mean, on top of all this stuff, we just got done talking about all the millions of things you're doing. You're also involved in the music at your church, too. Is that right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So what's going on with that? Well, really, I mean, I'm so thankful that they take me for when I can be there. You know, I'm in the praise True. band. Yeah. And uh, and it's usually, it's, you know, because it's when I'm home on Sundays, you know, and I'll uh-huh. be there like, 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 like the next couple. I was there last this past Sunday. I'll be there this coming Sunday. And I love it. You know, what better way? God's the one that gave me this talent, so I might sure. as well give it back, too, you know. And and, yeah. uh, and through that, I also do, do city mission work with the with the praise band, you know, the yeah. third Sunday of every month and all that. And I love it. That That's the thing that I love in my, in my life right now is to be able to also give back, you know. Mm-hmm. That's just like mm-hmm. I keep telling some of these people that I know when they're doing benefits and stuff like that, I said, if I'm in town, I will always give my talents for the It doesn't cost me anything to do that, you right. know. Right, and, right. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in playing it forward, you know, mm-hmm. and and yeah. uh, doing that. And and so, yeah, so I, I love it. Good and, for you. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, look, I uh, I think I asked everything I wanted to ask. I, um, I find your story really inspiring. I mean, you're, like I said, you're a lifer, but you're also a survivor. And you've managed to build this great life for yourself by being, uh, flexible and amenable, and amenable as opportunities came to you, and um, I think that's well, really. You really that's say really that important. well. You really say that well. I like that. Oh, well, thank you for thank you. Because that's that is part of it. Like it, it, it yeah. You know, that's well. I mean, why I say that is, you know, I I do have some other dear friends that I know that are, are, are great musicians and great artists, and sometimes they stumbled over their own feet because yeah. they put conditions on everything. Yeah. And yeah. if you're kind of unconditional. Like you love music. If you're kind of unconditional that you love music, you can kind of. Mm-hmm. It's it, in other words, it is what I do, but it's kind of it, it's easier when when you when you realize that. Yeah. 
when you set your expectations, uh, you know, realistically, it's like we were saying about that actor or whoever else that has, maybe they start out with stars in their eyes, but when they realize the reality of the situation and they think, where can I go for comfort and to pay my bills and for a steady living and for, you know, peace of mind, where can I go to find that? You, you stumbled onto that. It seems like, I mean, you were 30, but that's pretty early on. I mean, there's lots of people out there still trying to make it happen, and they and it's not working. Oh, yeah, and no, so no, I, I understand that. you are extremely I mean, lucky that that happened. I'll tell you something, a friend of mine, Billy Huffsey, I mean, we grew up together. Billy Huffsey is the one who was uh, that one of the stars on the TV show Fame, and then I think was One Life. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, I remember him, yeah. He's one of my, he's one of my, we're, we're, we're really, really good friends, and, and, uh, and he's been really successful in other things, you know, bringing, like, like kid actors and stuff on the shows mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Okay. And and he's maintained his career through the years. But he always had this line. He says, "If you, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but if you reach mm-hmm. for the moon, you'll still end up laying amongst the stars." Mm-hmm. That's, and, that's what it is. And I mean, I I can almost say it in a in a pragmatic way, as it was like I reached for the moon. I didn't actually get there, but <laughs> I've been laying amongst the stars for the last 25 years. You know. Yeah. Got your hookers looking in the sunlight We want you to all Alright, there's Rich Spina. Nice guy, right? I'm really happy for him. I mean, it's proof that if you keep your, your expectations in check, you're going to be happy with most of what life throws at you. Especially if you've prepared. He's obviously a talented guy, and he's able to make a living doing what he wants to do. And that's what it's all about. That's huge. I'm really happy he spoke to me. All right, in the weeks ahead, next week, we're going to be talking to a guy named Slim Man. Now, if you were watching MTV on the very first day of its existence, you would have seen a couple videos by this hard rock group called Boot Camp. Well, their lead singer, Slim Man, today is a smooth jazz lounge singer. And he's he's even a fairly successful one. He's been doing it for like 20 years. And go to YouTube right now and look up Slim Man Cooks. He has a number of cooking videos out there that are really funny. And to be honest, I don't know if they're intentionally funny or unintentionally funny, but they are super entertaining of him making these various Italian dishes. And this is a guy who was at the dawn of MTV fronting a hard rock group. It's crazy. Special thanks to uh, Aaron Syrett for producing this and every other podcast. Find us on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod. Find us on Facebook. Uh, Send me requests or recommendations of people you want me to track down for you. The email address is uh, thehustlepod at gmail.com. I'm actually looking into a few. In fact, I've done some interviews that will be coming up in the weeks ahead that were listener uh, requests. So they are going to happen. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Sound.